Welcome to the Servants Feast Christian Ministry Podcast with Reverend Elizabeth Moreau. Elizabeth wrote the From Called to Sent Discipleship series that includes six books and two retreats for the intellectual and spiritual development of Christians in the local church. In Elizabeth's From Called to Sent series, she often tells us there is more. Christianity is so much more than just attending church and Sunday school. The riches of our faith are beyond what we can hope or imagine. Jesus tells us that he came that we might have life and have it abundantly. Elizabeth passionately teaches the treasures of Christian life to the end that we grow and mature and experience an abundant life in Christ. Her reflections on topics and issues of the day always point to Jesus with the purpose of advancing his kingdom. She desires for us all to understand the deep and rich heritage we inherit from the historic and universal church. In Romans, Paul tells us, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. With this thought, let us continue our journey of transformation and renewal as Elizabeth shares her teaching through this podcast. Well, um, good day. It is good to be with you. This is Elizabeth, and it has been a long time since I've put together a podcast, and I apologize for that. I admit to you that I had a podcast in the works a couple of weeks ago, and it was just about finished, and um, it, you know, it started off in humor because I think humor is important, and um, and then we began to watch the fall of Afghanistan, and um, I don't, I don't, I don't see it really as a withdrawal as much as a, a a fall as the Taliban took over the entire nation, and the government, whatever Afghani government was there, uh, collapsed. You know, uh, and I watched all that, and I was completely, I was completely um, appalled. And then, and then, and then there was the death of the military. Uh, 13, 13, 13 of our military members were killed, and I think it was completely unnecessary, and 169 Afghanis, and there's no telling how many people were um, hurt or, or I, I, I was enraged. It made me so mad that I could hardly even breathe, and I was heartbroken. It just, I, it just, it just kills me that that, that happened. That it, it, there was no, it was never necessary. It was ne- there is no reason why we should have allowed that to happen, why that should have been the case in Afghanistan. N- none, you know? But anyway, there's so much that's going on in our world today that, that kind of what I want to talk about is how Christians are to live in the middle of this because there's a lot of fear-mongering going on. And uh, what does it mean to have faith in Jesus Christ right now? What does it mean to be called by Jesus Christ right now? And I've been quiet or silent because I cannot even wrap my mind around all that has gone on and um, that is going to that is continuing to go on. That's continuing to be pushed and continuing to be, you know, in our face or whatever. And it's just, it's a crazy time, y'all. How are Christians supposed to live during this? And I think that's a bigger question than it appears um, at first glance. Let's open with a word of prayer, because Lord knows we need time spent with God. Hear my prayer, Heavenly Father. Have mercy upon me, a sinner, and save me. We ask that you open our hearts and our minds to the knowledge and love of you in Jesus Christ. Grant that we may receive your Holy Spirit for the healing of our souls. Illumine our thoughts and enliven our hearts. Teach us in this time so that we may know you and your Son, Jesus Christ, and live 
These things we pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, when I first started this podcast, you guys, I thought I was going to do, uh, you have heard it said, because there are a whole bun- there's a whole bunch of little common knowledge things that we all know and we all understand, and um, a lot of them are, are incorporated into our daily living and the way we view the world and things like that, and they're false, and they're in contradiction to Christian teaching. And um, how many of us believe, for example, that if you had uh, better opportunities uh, at birth, that you would have turned out differently, right? That you, that it's it's, it's society's fault if a person is bad or if a person does uh, does wrong. That's a common belief. It's pretty widespread, but takes away all personal responsibility. And it's a profoundly unchristian belief. Those sorts of things um, were the sorts of things that I had in mind, right? And uh, that, I would, that we could talk about the complexity of some of these things, but a lot of the cliches and things we live by are false, and they're wrong. You know, and then, then I began to realize that, that that was probably a little bit restrictive, that that really we, I needed to broaden it up a little bit so that we could talk about not, not just um, individual items in life that we come across, but whole ideas, huge ideas that are... Um, completely contrary to Christian teaching, and that we could look at it, you know, um, uh, in a broader context. But over the past years, uh, over the past year, I have to tell you, I don't know, in, in 2021 alone, I feel like that we are living inside a pinball machine. At least I feel like I am living. I mean, I, first you look here, and then you look there, and then you look here, and then you look there, and there's noise all around us just bouncing around. And I think that our inter- entire nation, that is like we're going crazy. We are losing, everything is going, it's out of control. We are losing our minds. My friend said uh, the other day that this is a theater of the absurd. I thought, wow. Yeah, that accurately describes our current circumstances. We live in a theater of the absurd. You know, we have lost our collective mind. And unless we really wake up as Christians, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not talking about woke. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not woke and I'm not even remotely interested to be in being woke, all right? But we need to wake up because we're going nowhere good right now. You know, if we take the, the debacle in Afghanistan, and debacle is a nice word for what happened in Afghanistan, but if we take that whole debacle, it is a perfect example. The, the president and his company and all of his military brass are all claiming this great success that they ended a 20-year war, but they left hundreds of Americans behind. Doesn't that appall you? I am horrified, horrified that they left Americans behind. And they left Afghani allies behind, and the Taliban's going door to door to kill them. Oh, but we're going to negotiate with the Taliban, really? They're not different. They just they just learned PR. You know, thirteen members of the military died, and and eighty three billion dollars worth of military equipment was left behind. And you want to call that a success? Let me, for perspective purposes, for just just so that we'll have some pers- perspective on that. Throughout the entire history of the American-Israeli alliance, I guess that would have been 1948 forward, something like that, the American, American government has provided Israel with $100 billion worth of support, military support. But now Afghanistan has $83 billion that we left behind with allies that they're going to murder and with American citizens who can't get out. And in this crazy world, the military brass is celebrating. I, I, I don't even have words. I'm so appalled. And what words I do have, I couldn't say out loud. I certainly couldn't say on this podcast. You know, I have this whole COVID threat thing. 
right? Oh, let me back up. I want to make one more point about all of this, uh, this, this, this thing with Afghanistan and what they've done there and, and how appalling that is. Do you realize that American citizens are still being held from the January 6th affair, right? People who, no, no weapons were found. No, nobody. I think they did wrong. I'm not supporting, uh, you know, breaking windows and going into the Capitol uninvited and things like that. But, you know, they're being held with no charges, like terrorists in Gitmo. But that's kind of in keeping with some of the thought that's going on these days. Because the other day I heard, um, I, I, I heard a, a, a guy from, I can't remember where it was now. Uh, but anyway, he was talking about, he was, he was some sort of, um, uh, some sort of medical doctor, and he was talking about. Uh, oh, I know it was. It was. It was. It was he was a former um, secretary of something. Whatever. It doesn't matter. My point is that he was in there talking, and he said that people who refused to be uh, to wear masks were were the equivalent of um, terrorist suicide bombers. <laughs> How do you respond to that? That's a level of stupid I can't reach, y'all. That is so appalling to me, I can't even see straight. You don't put on a mask, and therefore, you're the equivalent, the moral equivalent of a suicide bomber. That is inexcusable. How ignorant is he? He needs to be closer to suicide bombers. He needs to hang out with some of them and see what, see what that's like, because they're a lot. They are seriously deadly. And that brings us to the, to the issue of this COVID threat thing. I mean, it's a genuine disease. I know people who have died from it. I, I did a funeral for, for an individual who had died from it. And um, it can be very serious. But in the entire United States, only 250 children have died from COVID. We know nothing about the comorbidities in their lives, whether or not they had some sort of immune system compromise or anything like that. We know, we know none of that. 250 children. But we're going to mask all of our children our teachers are going to rebel against, you know, being, I mean, I don't know, union, the, the teacher's union is, I don't know that teachers are rebelling as much as teacher's union is, but um, I, that, that, that piece of information came from a Harvard epidemiologist. And they were talking about, when they were asking him about what ought to happen with, with um, the shots and things like that, he said, well, I think that grandmother needs a shot and the children are fine. And, and, they said, well, what if the children bring, what if the children bring COVID to the grandmother? They said, well, if the grandmothers have the shot, it really doesn't matter, does it? And then um, had the vaccine, then the, it really shouldn't matter. And he said, we don't hold children accountable if grandmother dies from the flu. And we don't hold children accountable if they show up with a cold and grandmother gets sick from that and, and then declines. Why would you hold them accountable for bringing COVID to grandmother and grandmother has to have the vaccine? Uh, you know, it's incredible. Our children are learning virtually, and they're learning virtually nothing. But you know who's learning the least amount? The very least amount? And the ones who are suffering the very most? That would be African-American children and Hispanic children. They are the ones who are most at risk of falling behind in the educational system because they have been learning virtually. But the real question for me, I have to tell you in reference to COVID, the real question for me is if it is so deadly, right, why are we letting 5,500 people a day come across our border? Why are we doing that? I mean, we don't, we, that we're not testing all of them, but we know that some of them are, are, are COVID positive. We know that they're not masking and they're, and they're being bussed and flown around the nation. They just drop them off in your state. Here you go. They're your problem now. And in the state of Texas, we're real grateful for that because they're coming over in mass and massive numbers. I was very grateful 
for um, the ruling of the Supreme Court saying you, you must close the border. You, you need to stay in Mexico. That's the policy, stay in Mexico, and uh, don't come over, because that's a good policy. We can't possibly support the entire world, particularly if we're going to destroy the economy, which is exactly what we are doing. The other day, I heard an, an, an interesting example of some of that. Um, American Express is woke now. It's training its employees that capitalism is bad. So we're going to destroy capitalism, which is how our economy runs. And therefore, we're going to have no money. We're going to destroy capitalism, and we're going to try to take in the entire world so that nobody will be poor. How can we even believe this stuff? And we talk about it like it's intelligent. No, that doesn't work. You know, if capitalism is bad, can American Express return the $2.3 billion in assets that they have? Why don't they send that back to all the, you know, like um, little people who, who, who carry American Express cards if capitalism is bad? Because they earned a bunch of money in capitalism. You know what else they said? They said uh, in, in their training, and it's not just American Express. I, I have a, a friend who works for a bank, and that friend said the training in that bank was, was similar, I mean, to this. Right? It's all woke, and it's all going to be careful, and we're all going to train our employees. In the American Express training, they said that you cannot, if you work harder, you cannot say, if you work harder in the United States, you can accomplish anything you want, because that would be racist. Hello? We're teaching people not to work hard? Okay. I don't have any words. I'm like, oh my God, who, who thinks that? You can't say that. That's racist. If you work hard, you can accomplish anything you want. Well, who's going to accomplish it for you if you don't work hard? I don't know. You can't say that people are equal because they are made in the image of God. I want you to realize the significance of that, Christian, that you cannot say that people are equal because they are made in the image of God. Oh, my goodness. Realize the implications for Christian teaching right there in that one sentence. It is completely insane. I, I, it, you know, it's like... Jeff Bezos is a mega rich, right? He owns Amazon. He did have to divide it with his wife after he was caught having an affair or whatever. He quit and whatever. Anyway, but he gave $100 million to Van Jones, okay, who was so incredibly racist, the Obama administration let him go, all right? But why did he give money to Van Jones? For being born black? That was the deal? He was born black, so, so Jeff Bezos gave Van Jones $100 million. Van Jones lives, he's definitely in the 1% far above all the rest of us. So then you have this whole issue of racism. And I think I, I shared this before. I don't know if it was in writing or if it was on a podcast, but I was in a discussion with a friend of mine, and um, I told him, I said, look, what is it you want? Why are you so angry? And I, he, he's, an, he's, he's a black man. And I said, you can live next door to me, and you can be my boss. I'm fine with all that. Your children can marry my children. I'm good. What is it you want? And what he wanted was to call me a racist white supremacist, apparently, because that was his answer. Only a racist white supremacist could say, you're my equal. You can live next door to me. You can um, go to any college you want to go. You can live in any house you want to. You can be my boss. You can have as much education or any job that you want. You can do, <laughs> what do you want? I don't care if you marry my children. I don't care if you, you know. I don't <laughs> Racism is wrong. Now, we all agree with that. It is wrong. Apparently, it is only wrong if, it is aimed at, it is, if it's aimed at African Americans or whatever. It is not wrong if it is aimed at white people because racism abounds right now. They're, they're, but, but racism is ephemeral. It is nebulous. It is, it, racism is a condition of an individual heart and mind, right? 
It is part of a heart and mind. It is not, um, uh, it's not measurable, right? Discrimination is measurable, but not racism. Okay, and, and you're, we're looking for racism under every, under every rock and stone as we destroy the nation. In the current cultural climate, we are fomenting division where none needs to be. You know, I, I, look at, I, I gotta tell you, in my neighborhood, it, it, it's a very colorful, colorful neighborhood. And you look out there, and all these kids are playing, and nobody's told them they're not supposed to get along. It is utterly amazing. And they are all just adorable. Okay? I can't tell you how cute they all are. And I'm like, it is inexcusable for you to create conflict between these children based on hatred that nobody feels. <laughs> Hello? Okay? We're creating racism by continually insulting white, the white population and feeding victimhood to the black population. I don't, I don't want anybody to tell those children they're victims out there. I mean, the, the, the black children in my neighborhood. They are priceless. They are just as cute as they can be. Let us not talk about What about the African, not the African-American? What about the, the Hispanic kids in the neighborhood? Can we please not tell them that they are less than anybody else? They are precious. And that's true of the Asians as well. I'm telling you, I live in a colorful neighborhood. And I haven't met anyone yet who's awful. Anyone. I mean, why would you create division and hatred where there is none? What, who has something to gain? We have the LGBTQ lobby going berserk. berserk. I mean, the rest, the rest of the nation's right behind it the whole way. Uh, they they want to reamend. We want to. They want to rearrange the whole of society, right? And um, indeed, they want to change the entire human body. But why do our children even know about such things as gender and sex? Why do they need to? What six-year-old needs that information? You know. All these issues were bound to conflict at some point. And in the Olympics, you have a man who says he's a woman and no woman can possibly win. And, that, and that's happening all over everywhere. And they're saying, oh, how dare you deny men the right to be women and win? And they're, I'm like, oh, my goodness gracious. Wow. You know, I have to tell you, in the research that I have done, and I'm, I'm still doing it or whatever, but I'm, I'm writing this book on, on Christian marriage, and I've made some progress. I'm really, I'm really kind of pleased with it. What, is, what does Christian marriage mean and stuff? And, I, I, and it's really kind of exciting, but um, I've discovered the most amazing things from medical science. And the differences between men and women go far beyond common knowledge, far beyond what we all are being told. Men and women are not, uh, the human body is not at all interchangeable. It's not possible. I mean, I know that they can make it look that way, but that's very superficial. You cannot change. And we're ignoring all the science behind all that because it's inconvenient. Talk about an inconvenient truth. There's one right there. They're not interchangeable. Every cell and every human body is either male or female. It can't be both. It, and, and this is going to be a tragic thing. But what do Christians are? What, Christians need to tell the truth. It's going to be hard on us as Christians to tell the truth and to live in the truth. You know, friends, everywhere I look, there's more and more craziness around us. I mean, and, and Christians, you and I, we cannot live in a crazy world. We cannot succumb to that. We cannot be part of that world. You know, the other day I heard this, this Christian pastor and missionary and he was talking about the U.S. and he said, well, it's still the greatest country in the world because this is a democracy and we believe the va- in the value of all human beings and it's going to work out and well, it's still a great country and blah, blah, blah. And so I want to go, dude, you are dreaming. The value of all people is entirely dependent upon the image of God in all people. 
entirely dependent upon the image of God. If a person is not made in the image of God, if he is whatever else, then he is expendable. It doesn't make any difference. He is only material. He is not necessary. And we're going to talk about all these different things. You know, my greatest concern is that we're more and more, we are not allowed to speak the truth. We're being told, you can't say that. You can't say, for example, that a Y chromosome in every cell of your body cannot be turned into a female. You can't, but people do it all the time, and it still doesn't work. Doesn't make it right. It's scientifically impossible. Anyway, (laughs) hello. You know, everywhere we look, the news outlets or media or whatever, you know, politicians, good Lord, they're feeding fears and conflict, feeding division and distrust and hatred. And that cannot be you and me. That cannot be you and me. Even the church in some ways is chasing the culture in too many ways, I will tell you. You know, (laughs) the church does woke cancel culture training. I, t- I think I told you about the whiteness training. You don't have to get happy in the same pants you got mad in. I'm not doing that. And, uh, you know, just as African Americans are made in the image of God, Hispanic Americans, Asian, every human being on the face of this earth is made in the image of God. So are white people. And I'm not fixing to buy into some like white guilt or something that happened 160, 170 years ago, whatever it was. I, you know, I didn't do it. It wasn't my fault. You know, I'm willing to give anybody a chance. I'm willing to love anybody. I'm willing to help anybody. So I don't want. It's obscene to try to create problems where there are none. But the church, even the church, is buying into that, and that is not who Jesus is. You know, that's not who our God is, and it is not who we are called to be. We don't need to be part of the woke cancel culture, but we do need to wake up and pay attention to what's happening around us because we have a responsibility. Our responsibility is not to vote um, Democrat. It's not to vote Republican. Those aren't our responsibilities. No, we have a responsibility to be Christians in our world, you know, instead of giving in to the waves of evil and darkness that are just washing over us. You know, I want to read a popular passage, and then we'll we'll take a quick break. But I want to read a popular passage from C.S. Lewis's Weight of Glory. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to read part of it. He writes, um, it may be possible for each of us to think too much of his own potential glory hereafter. It is hardly possible for him to think too often or too deeply about that of his neighbor. The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid on my back, a load so heavy only humility can carry it, and the backs of the proud will be broken. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to today may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, in a nightmare. All day long, in some degree... We are helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. That's where I want to stop for this half. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. What, everything I mentioned above is just the tip of the iceberg. How are Christians 
supposed to live. We have fear, faith, the call of Christ. Let's return in a moment after a break. Elizabeth will be back in a moment. If you have questions about this or a previous podcast, please send her an email. Her email address is elizabeth at servantsfeast.org. We're back now with Reverend Elizabeth Moreau. All righty. Well, um, we left off with a question, how are we to live as Christians today? And, I, and I'll tell you, I had several answers kind of in mind that I wanted to lay out here, uh, but I began praying as I was preparing the podcast, and, and I've been praying a lot because I think the, the world feels out of control to me, right? So as I sat and I prayed about it, I said, okay, what do you want to say to your people? And what, Jesus, if you were standing here, what do you want to say to your people? And I'm sure he has a lot more to say than my, my mind can absorb, but the the a passage from um, Matthew popped into my mind, and it was so obvious that I almost missed it, right? In my thinking and, and, and what I wanted to say, I thought, I almost missed this. The passage that came to mind was from Matthew 11, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now then, before we try to think through um, how to live in these different times, before we start talking about how what the church should be doing or what the church ought to do or anything like that, we all need to rest in Jesus. We need to turn around and run to Jesus and rest in him. We need to be pulled into his heart and and to be still there so that we can be restored. Because when we rest in him, we begin to experience who he is, right? And we get to we, we begin to see how temporary our moment is. If we can touch eternity even for just a little bit, then the weight of today lessens. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says that my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's carrying the weight of eternity. We don't have to carry all the weight of today. And our souls can find rest and ease in him. You know, when we can, we can be in the presence of God, when we can find rest in Jesus Christ, then we begin to realize that for all the confusion of today that we think we are, that is going on, for all that we are experiencing and everything we don't understand, God is at work in our midst. He is busy. And the fears that we experience um, come from decisions and events and circumstances that are beyond our control. But that is always the case. So when we rest in the heart of Christ, we discover the cause for our faith. And we can sense the magnitude and the power and the authority of God when we come into his presence. We can, his compassion, his love, uh, his empathy kind of overwhelm us. We've, we have cause for faith, not for fear. When we live in a fearful state, you guys, we, um, we're constantly uh, paralyzed in some degree. We can't move because we're afraid. You know, and, and if, if we're too fearful and we're paralyzed, then we're unable to offer hope to other people. Fearful people can't offer hope, right? We can't offer the hope of Christ to others. But when we rest in the heart of God, our understanding is greater than the knowledge that, that we have. It is, our understanding is certainly greater than our words. St. Basil, Saint, uh, Saint, Saint Basil of Caesarea said, St. Basil of Caesarea, whichever way you want to say it, said that... Um, the mind is weak, but the tongue is still weaker than the thought. In other words, our mind can only comprehend so much, but our our ability to say it is even less than what our mind can comprehend. 
right? I think that's absolutely accurate. And yet our souls can experience, and we may not even have the knowledge to to understand what we're experiencing because God is eternal and we are temporal, because God is infinite and we are finite, because God is God and we are not, right? But we know in an eternal way that this is still God's world. And you can sense that and experience that. That, uh, that the powers in our world that think that they have so much influence are not that powerful by comparison to the God in whose heart we rest. And then Christian belief has trust added to it. And with belief and trust, we have faith. And that's a genuine, a living faith. It's not, it's not just a belief. It's a faith. And it's entirely different. Something even more important happens, though, I think, when we, when we rest in the heart of Christ. I think when we're in the heart of Christ, we finally grasp the truth that the concerns of today are penultimate. And penultimate is a great word that we don't use very often anymore, but I like it a whole lot. Um, penultimate means the last, the next to the last in a series of things. It is not the last thing, it is the next to the last. It is second in rank of importance. Penultimate is the second most important thing. In other words, this life and our world are important. This moment is important. But the kingdom of God is more important. That is the ultimate thing. That is the final thing. That is the top of the heap. The, you know, that is the, that's the end of the, the road. That's, that's, that's the prize right there is the kingdom. And I believe that the, the, goals of Christ, the goal of Christians during this time is to keep that in mind, that the, goal, that, that the kingdom of God is their goal. That's the ultimate thing. And then we'll be able to live as Christ lived. While he was imprisoned, he wrote to Philip, he said, you know, to live, is, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's what Paul said. And I want, I, we need to live like that because there's such freedom in that conviction. If we are to live as Christ lived, then, you know, then he alone is what matters. If to live is Christ... Let me just say that if to live is Christ, then he alone is what matters. For in Jesus Christ is the fullness of truth. He's, he was the servant of all the people. He was unafraid of authorities because he, his purpose was not political, and that is important to hear because everybody wants to claim Jesus as supporting their political cause, and Jesus' cause was not political at all. His purpose was the salvation and redemption of this world, and you and I are invited to be a part of that work. Okay, and that purpose. And if you live, to if to live is Christ and to die is gain, then you can invest everything without concern in being a part of the salvation and redemption of the world. <laughs> There's a shock, right? What are we worried about? What are we afraid of? You know, Lewis's point in the weight of glory was that we have a responsibility uh, for our own impact on the destiny of others. Now, you cannot control the destiny of another person, but we're either helping somebody become more like Christ to know God or we're helping them to head to hell, right? We're helping them move furthermore into, you know, meaningless, pointless nothingness. You know, it's possible to think too much of one's own glory, but we cannot think too much of our neighbor's. Our concern for our neighbor, the manner in which we treat our neighbor, it, these things call us to set aside these false divisions and manufactured hatred. And I do think that hatred and, and division is being manufactured. It's, un, it's, in, it's very intentional and seeking to destroy us and harm us. And we should be more worried about what kills the soul than what kills the body. That is hard for us in this generation because we are a very physical, material people and what we want now is what matters. And we think too much about that. We need to be more worried about what kills the soul than what kills the body. 
You know, in the last week, I've heard about a half a dozen different breaks from different places and among different friends based upon masks and vaccines, the argument back and forth about those, over those two things. And I want to say to you that I think that is unworthy of Christian division. And we need to repent from that and not do it anymore. Stop that. Don't fight over that. And if you say to me, oh, no, this is very important. It's a matter of life and death. And you need to know that my response to that is there are more important things in life, more important things than life and death. Surprise! I absolutely feel that way. There are more important things than life and death. It is more important to be unwavering in truth than it is to make people feel good. It is more important to live our days fully than to live a lot of long, empty days. It is more important to help our neighbor toward his or her destiny than it is to win a debate. Do you have any idea how hard that is for me to say? Because I love to be right. But it would be more right for us to love. Now, I'll tell you that I think it is true that we, our nation is headed towards socialism, irrespective of the Constitution. And I do think that people in powers are intentionally trying to destroy our nation from within. And, and there's even the specter of communism on the horizon. I don't think that's beyond the realm of possibility. And you say, oh, that could never happen. I want to say that every other society was saying exactly that just before it happened. Right? Oh, that's not going to happen. No, watch it happen. Um, it'd be a great tragedy because I think if the world does not have the United States, what nation is going to become the beacon of hope and good? Who's going to take on the role of you know providing... So many goods to so many different people, and I'm not talking about the. Um, I'm not talking about physical goods. I'm talking about goods like feeding the hungry, like assisting those in need, like going to. I mean, raising millions and millions of dollars for you know storm victims all around the world, sending navy ships where they can serve as hospitals, their hospital ships. I mean, there's so much that the United States does on behalf of the world for the good of the world. And I don't care how bad the nation is. It's not, you know, anywhere you get a bunch of people that are sinful and you shouldn't be surprised by it. I'm sure not. And uh, but anyway, but what nation is going to take over that role if you get rid of the United States? Still, our influence over national affairs is very limited. God's influence, however, is not. Thus, if you want to affect decisions that are of the politicians or politics or the direction of the nation, do not waste your time trying to change them yourself. I, don't, I think that's a waste of time. Instead, you need to be more Christian and you need to be more like Jesus Christ. And, you know, because if you dwell in Christ, you know, truly, yeah, you know, I mean, you need we we must dwell in Christ because truly, if we do not, I mean, you know, apart from Him, we can do nothing. We we can't accomplish much of anything. But the reverse is true as well. If we are, you know, if we abide, if we abide in Christ, if we dwell in Him, if we live in Him, there are no limits to what God can do in and through those who love Him, who are available to Him. God parted the waters when Moses lifted his hands. I like that. God parted the waters, not Moses. God did. There is no telling what God might do if we lifted our hearts to Him and we dwelled in Him. You know, there is so much more that I could say, and but I will tell you, I know I've already talked too long. I'm inclined to do that. So I want to close with one final point. In some ways, it's a terrible point. It's a point that, uh, I mean, a terrible way to end a podcast, I guess. But it's not a point that we necessarily want to hear, but it's a point we need to hear. You know, it's something we all should never forget. We have to remember this, y'all. In the end, God does not win. He doesn't. 
we, we, we are following a crucified Lord. Jesus overcame the world, but he overcame the world through death and resurrection. You know, so any victory that we have in this world is penultimate. It's not, it's not a lasting victory. It's a temporary victory. The ultimate victory is eternal, and that's where we need to be aimed. That's where we need to keep our, our eyes focused. We can never lose sight of that, and we can never give up in this world because the ultimate victory belongs to our God. You know, as Christians, our goal is to win as many ultimate victories as we possibly can, right? And that begins with concern for our neighbor's destiny. You know, in the podcast ahead, I hope, I hope that I'll be able to address some of the things that I mentioned in the first half of this podcast. But frankly, the rapidity with which things are going on in our world right now, I have no idea. Who knows what's going to happen next, right? But that's my plan. Those are the ideas that, that have come to mind. And they're ideas that about um, in our world today that are floating around. I want to compare those to Christian belief. How do they shape up by Christian belief? What do they look like? It's pretty much the same thing I'm always trying to do. But um, look at events, circumstances, ideas from a Christian point of view. For now, I hope I've provided you food for thought, something to pray over. And I hope we're all encouraged to draw closer to Christ. Let's close with a word of prayer. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Have mercy upon me, a sinner, and save me. I ask you, O God, to call your people to lift our eyes to you that we may see your glory. Send your spirit to walk with us, to guide our steps, and to remind us throughout each day of your infinite wisdom, as well as the safety we find in the shelter of your love. These things we pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Y'all be blessed now. You hear? You have just heard the latest podcast with Elizabeth Moreau. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Podcast, or whatever service you might use. Please rate, review, and share this podcast with others. Be sure to look us up on Facebook and like and share this podcast with your friends. Also, if you appreciate this ministry, please consider making a donation to Servants Feast Christian Ministry through our website. Join us next time as we continue to explore God's truth as it speaks to our world today with transforming love for all people.